Amen. Good evening, everyone. Let's go ahead and believe that the Lord's going to answer the prayer that Brother Dotson prayed and also the prayer that we all just sang. Amen? Amen. Nothing between. And also the prayers that so many of you have been praying consistently. We're going to get right into the message tonight. It's good to see everyone. Thank you again for your faithfulness to the Lord and being here. And I pray that the message tonight will be a help to you. I want to lay before you where we're going and give you the main thought uh, for the message, and hopefully that'll help uh, kind of solidify some things. I want to begin with an illustration, if I can. And I know it's not a perfect illustration, but hopefully it'll help you understand a little bit about where we're going. How many of you have ever heard the uh, phrase, the greatest generation? That's uh, from a generation that was typically used to describe those that fought and served and volunteered here in the uh, United States during World War II. And I think there's good reason for that. The sacrifices that they made, putting others before self, self and all the things that go with that. But I tend to agree with a historian I read, whose name I forget, but it was a while ago. And he said that he doesn't believe that they were the greatest generation. He said, I believe the greatest generation is the one that raised them. The ones that raised those 18 and 19-year-old young men and those 18 and 19-year-old young ladies who went and volunteered. And if you think about it, I think that there's some truth in that. Because what they did is what we see. And that's we say, wow, that's the greatest generation because of what they did. But what that historian saw was something deeper than that. He realized that what they did was because of who they were. Their, their character is the reason that they did what they did. And tonight, as we look at this subject in this series, partakers of the divine nature. And the divine nature we're looking at tonight is faithfulness. God is faithful. And his children should be faithful too. But I don't believe that faithfulness is only seen in what we do. Now, it is seen in what we do. How could you show you're faithful without action? Amen? And so while faithfulness is exhibited by our actions, I believe scripturally it is an outflow of who we are. Let me illustrate. Someone says, I just wish that I could get my son, my daughter, this person I'm discipling, or maybe it's myself. I wish I could be more faithful in my Bible reading." Well, I can assure you that for the same reason a husband and wife do not need to uh, muster up the desire to spend time together, they do it naturally. Why? Because they love each other. And so when you love the Lord, it's not an effort to read your Bible. I just wish I'd be more faithful if I pray. If you love the Lord, it's not effort to pray. I wish I could just get them to be more faithful to church services. I just wish they'd be more faithful on Sundays. Well, I promise you this, that when they get in their heart, that that first day of the week is the Lord's day. It won't be hard to get them into the assembly. Jesus said, if you love me, you what? You keep my commandments. And the character of a Christian, the love of a Christian, affects the Christian's life. And I think too often we focus on all the do's and don'ts of faithfulness. We have to be faithful to all these and then we check off a bunch of things on a list. But I believe that faithfulness to the Lord is simpler than that. It's fellowship with the Lord. And fellowship with the Lord will produce faithfulness. You you know maybe from your your own life that all the things that you do to 
not sin. No one wants to sin. No, no Christian wants to sin and displease God. And so there's different things that people do to try to, you know, uh, create safe safety. They have accountability partners. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with accountability partners. If you have that, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that. But Scripture is authoritative. Amen. Thank you. That, that one man. Amen. No. I know. I know. It's okay. It's, it's a quiet night. It's Tuesday night. It's okay. But the Bible says this, walk in the spirit and you're not fulfilled the lust of the flesh. What he says is this. Paul, moved by the Holy Spirit, do one thing, walk in the Spirit, and all the other things will take care of themselves. I think you get the idea a little bit about where we're going. And I want you to understand that our faithfulness is a result of our relationship with the Lord. But faithfulness is an attribute of God, and praise His name for that. If you would take your Bible, turn to Psalm 89, I want you to see what faithfulness is. And I want us to see God first. I want to start with Him as He is worthy of that. Psalm 89, the psalmist writing a hymn in the Hebrew hymn book pens these words. Psalm 89, verse 1. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known Thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. I made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. Selah. Think about that, he's saying. And then he goes back to the, the praise. He says, the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord. Thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. For who in heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee or to thy faithfulness round about thee? Is he being redundant? No. He is just speaking out of his heart praise to God. For his faithfulness, 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 faithfulness in eight verses as we number them. God is faithful. What does it mean to be faithful? Faithfulness means fidelity. It means stability. It means to be sure, to be true. It means to be trustworthy. Are you glad God is trustworthy? Are you thankful that God is sure? That he is true. God is faithful. If you would go with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And I want us to see sort of a pattern that we're going to be looking at this week. Last night we saw that you are to be holy for God is holy. Be ye holy for God is holy. In Hebrews chapter 10, join me in verse 19. The apostle Paul, well the writer of Hebrews. Sorry about that. Speak to your Bible Institute or pastor, professor, you know. Oh, it is Paul? Okay. Amen. All right. Good. Good. All right. Just just clearing that up. All right. Who better than the Hebrew of Hebrews to write Hebrews? Amen. All right. Paul, the writer of Hebrews saying about the, the the old sacrificial system that's gone and how much greater Christ's sacrificial work is. And now we have access to God. In verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest 
by the blood of Jesus. This is that the holy of holies it's often called. It's the most holy, the holiest. Now look at this. By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. Now let's just stop right here. I want to just speak about this real quick, all right? This is sound theology right here. And this is something you can show me by Jehovah's Witness or those that struggle with the deity of Jesus Christ. It's not just filler words here, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. John will write in his second epistle the importance of understanding that Jesus is God in the flesh. And if you go back and read in Exodus 24-ish, I think, it's an Exodus, amen. Um, and you read about the veil's construction, it was, it was specific. It was to be made of blue, purple, and scarlet thread. So the veil had three colors, blue, purple, and scarlet. Well, you read about uh, Moses getting the law, and uh, when he went up with Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, the Bible says they saw God, you remember this story? That God stood on a pavement of sapphire stones, and that it was like the heavens in clearness, the color of heavens in clearness. And that's uh, like the sky, the blue sky. And so there's this connection with deity and heaven and blue. And then the verse we read last night would be a good uh, proof text for this. That holy ground we looked at, take off your sandals from off your feet, the the place you're standing is holy ground. That word soil there is the same word that we get Adam from, Adam. And it's it's clay. It means red. It's soil. It's dirt. Because that's where Adam's drawn from. So you have this kind of earthy attachment to the color red, Adam, man. And then you have this heavenly attachment to the color blue. Well, how do you get purple? By mixing blue and red together. So it's not a coincidence that the veil which pictured our Lord, God and man together... That's not a coincidence. That's God showing way back before he was ever born in Bethlehem truth about our Lord. The Bible's wonderful. And so this isn't just filler. This is real. That that veil was a picture. But now he's saying this. We don't need the picture anymore. We don't need the shadow. We've got the real thing. We have the substance. And so we have a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of what? Faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Now, if you read James chapter 1 and verse 6, he gives us a promise, moved by the Holy Spirit. James tells us that if you lack wisdom, you can ask of God, who gives to all men, not just clergy, he gives to all men liberally, and he upbraideth not. Isn't he a good God? But... Let him ask in what? And then what? Nothing wavering. Why is faith attached with the phrase nothing wavering? Here in Hebrews and there in James. Because the opposite of sure and true and stability is wavering. And so faithfulness is not wavering. Faithfulness is standing strong. But look at what the verse says, beloved. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. You be faithful, for because he is faithful. 
Be holy, for he is holy, and you be faithful, for he is faithful. So this is what faithfulness is. It is stability. It is not wavering. But secondly, let's look at why we can know God will always be faithful. How can we be so sure that God will always be faithful? If you would take your Bible, go with me to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and there's this truth said about our, about our Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And then once you're in 1 Timothy, go to 2 Timothy, if you will. <laughs> Sorry about that. What a, what a way to follow up surest and stability. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look with me at verse 11. It is a faithful saying. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth, what? Faithful. This is speaking of God. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. How can God stay faithful to not make exception for those that don't believe? There is no partiality with God. He's not a respecter of persons. So if if you don't believe, you will not be saved. And even when a Christian lacks faith, God doesn't. He is faithful. How is it that he is faithful? Look at the end of the verse. He cannot deny himself. Do you see that? You can be sure that God is faithful because of who God is. Foreshadowing to application for ourselves. It would be a denial of God's very nature if he was not faithful. His faithfulness is not proven over time. We don't have to sit back and wait to see if God is faithful. He is faithful, and we can know he's faithful, because if he wasn't faithful, he'd be denying himself, and he cannot deny himself. And so we not only know he is faithful, we know he always will be faithful. Now, why do we know that? Because Malachi 3.6 tells us that as God speaking, I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews 1.12, about the Lord, thou art the same. In chapter 13, verse 8, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Beloved, God is faithful, and you can know God will always be faithful, not because he'll be proven over time, but rather because it is a result of who he is. Not just simply what he does. Number three, why does it matter that we know God is always faithful? Well, it definitely matters to the believer. Let me give you three examples. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And join me in verse 16. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now here's some verbs. And who's doing the action? We are. Verse 16, rejoice evermore. Those of you in the the EBA or homeschoolers, you know the understood you, right? This is you rejoice evermore. Verse 17, you pray without ceasing. Verse 18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 
quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. That's what you do. Now look at what God does. And the very God of peace sanctify. There's that verb form of holy. The very God of peace sanctify, consecrate, separate you wholly, completely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you want that for yourself? Amen? Well, good news. Verse 24. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. That's why it matters to the believer. Just one reason. Let's look at another reason. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. You're familiar with this. I know that Sin is a difficult topic, especially for a believer. I'm not suggesting that Christians can live however they want. We know that sin is deadly. It's dangerous. It should be uh, avoided at all costs of a Christian. But we also know what John says in chapter 2 and verse 1. That if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous. Amen? Sin not. Yeah, that's the goal. But if you sin... You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous. Look at verse 9 of chapter 1. If we confess our sins, he is frustrated that you did it again. No. If we confess our sins, he is fed up with you. Beloved, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is trustworthy. You can mark it down. It's going to happen. He is faithful and just. He's he's allowed to do what he's going to do to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me encourage you, if you are one of those who feels the guilt of sin and the need to confess sin, let me encourage you tonight with what that verse means. John's not being redundant when he says he'll forgive you and he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. No, it's two actions by God on our behalf. And the reason I love this truth about cleansing me from all unrighteousness is because you only clean things you want to use again. We're not disposable. I don't clean plasticware. I don't clean styrofoam plates. I throw those away. But I do wash my clothes. I do wash the dishes at the house. Well, I don't, but I help every now and then. Amen? If my wife's watching, I don't want her to comment saying, really? (laughs) Revelation. So anyway, if you are. uh, But anyway, (laughs) you wash dishes. Why? Well, because you expect to use them again. Aren't you glad the Lord's like that with us? Let let, let me show you if I can, just real quick. I want to show you an illustration of the Lord doing this. An an action of him doing this. Take your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And this is our Lord, faithful. And I'm telling you, if if, if you've ever sinned, like if you don't sin, this is, you know, you don't have to worry about this part. But for those of us that do sin, we want God to be faithful to forgive us. Amen? Amen. Luke chapter 9, the disciples are in a bad way. The Lord has to deal with them with their pride. He tries to give an illustration, or he does give an illustration, and they still don't get the lesson. John trying to show that it's not as bad as all that, Lord. Matter of fact, let me tell you what we did. We saw a man over there casting out devils in your name, but don't worry, we forbade him because he wasn't with us. They went from pride to judgmental because suddenly they became the standard. If you're not doing it the way I do it, you must be wrong. Lord, good news, we stopped him, and Jesus said this, forbid him not. 
If he's not against us, he's for us. But then it gets worse. They go from being proud and judgmental to condemnatory. Now there's a Samaritan village that doesn't receive them. And that bothers James and John, not Thaddeus and Bartholomew, right? This is James and John. Listen, if James and John can struggle with this, then you better believe I'm susceptible too, right? And James and John trot up to Jesus. This is a humorous scene to me. You know, they kind of jog up to Jesus and say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? You know, like Elijah did. Now, two things. First of all, if the Lord wanted to do that, I'm sure he could take care of it. Amen. But secondly, what would have happened to those people if they did that? But you see, they weren't worried about the people. Their ego had been affected. Their ego had been hurt. And I want you to notice what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 9. This is, this is strong language. In verse 55, but he turned. This is Jesus. And he stops and he turns. And you can see Jesus looking them in the eye. He turned and what did he do? He rebuked them. He didn't pat them on the back and say, Way to go, guys. He rebuked them. That's strong language. And said, you know not what manner of what? Spirit you're of. And then he explains that the spirit they have is the opposite of himself. He says, the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And I have underlined in my Bible the last sentence. Because it doesn't say, and he went to another village. Amen? It says, and they went to another village. That's a blessing to me because what it teaches me about my Lord is that he is faithful to forgive and cleanse. He didn't say, well, boys, I thought I could use you. You're going to have to stay here. He didn't leave them on the side of the road. He dealt with their sin. And then if I could say it this way without being irreverent, it's like he said this. Okay. Now, come on, let's go. Amen? Let me tell you, I'm glad the Lord's like that. Because there's times when I have to confess my sin, I know that he's faithful and just to forgive my sin, and I don't have to wallow around on the sidelines for the next six months. It's time to get up and come on, let's go. we got work to do. They went to another village, and they didn't stop there and complain and whine that they had been corrected either. Amen? They weren't upset at, gee, I can't believe he talked to us like that. No, they went with him because it was the right thing to do. So why does it matter that God's faithful? Well, it matters for our sanctification. It matters for our forgiveness of sin. Take your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and look with me at verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And for those of us that get worried like that, well, I don't want to fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. This is more than a word study on the word faithful. These are different parts of your life as a believer where we need God to be faithful. And we know that he is because he does not change. We know that he will be faithful because of who he is. 
If he were not faithful, he would deny himself. And so our God is faithful to save. He's faithful to secure. He's faithful to sanctify. And praise his name, he's faithful to stay. I will never leave you or forsake you. So this is why it matters. Just a few examples, and on a study on your own, you can find other reasons why it matters that you know God is faithful. But lastly tonight, I want to make the application to us. Because the theme this week is partakers of that nature. I want to be trustworthy. I want to be sure and steady. I want to show fidelity. I want to be stable. I want to be true. And as I said, faithfulness doesn't look like a completed list of do's and don'ts. Rather, it is the outflow of who you are just like God. And so I believe the Lord's will for us tonight is not to give this church a rundown of all the ways you are to be faithful. We could do that. There are many ways you need to be faithful. We could talk tonight about you being faithful to your family. As a spouse, as a parent, as a child. We could talk about your need to be faithful to the church. And all the different ways you are faithful to God through the church. Because it's not so much about being faithful to the church as it is being faithful to the Lord through the church. Amen. Um, you, you don't, you, a church doesn't collect an offering. A church gives an offering. Amen. You're giving it to God through the church. And the church stewards that money and all that. You, you know that. We could talk about faithfulness in prayer and Bible reading. I do not believe that's what the Lord has for us tonight. And I don't say that lightly either, by the way. Rather, I think the, the need tonight is not what you need to do to stay faithful. You're a well-taught church. You know the areas in your life that you're to be faithful in. I think tonight, as we head towards this last part of the message, not the closing of the message, the last part of the message, the Lord wants us to look at how to stay faithful. Because tonight, the Lord's going to work on hearts, and you're going to say, you know, I, I need to increase my love. I need to increase who I am as a person, and I know all these different areas, but the, the goal is to stay that way. Isn't that why we can trust God to be faithful? Because he does not what? Change. Just like a wife shouldn't have to worry about what kind of husband is coming home. Is he in a good mood, a bad mood? What kind of day did he have? You know, if, if he's smiling, the kids can stay out. If he's angry looking, i got to hide the kids. That shouldn't be, Amen. If, if, if we are called to be like our Lord Jesus Christ, and our Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever, a goal of our life should be to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. It, we should not be constant uh, pinballs that are constantly reacting to the environment around us. No, we should not allow the environment to influence us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so this, this idea of being right in order to do right is very important. But we want to stay there. And how do we do that? Well, I want to start by showing you how to stay faithful. From Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, you probably have this memorized. You don't have to turn there if you don't want. But there's a truth here that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And there's three things they do. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. And they shall walk and not what? Faint. Now, I want you to remember the importance of what faithfulness is. It's nothing wavering. 
There's faith and then there's wavering. There's faithfulness and then there's instability. There's faithfulness and then there's unstable as water. There's faithfulness and there's fainting. Galatians 6, 9 tells us not to be weary in well-doing. Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we what? Faint not. Well, what, what is implied there in the faint not? Well, I believe the implication is some stick-to-itness. Amen? Some endurance. Some stability. Some standing. Standing for Christ. Standing for truth. Standing for right. And so with that in mind, this idea of not fainting and not growing weary and staying faithful. How do we do it? Well, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And I want you to see an important truth. If you want to be a partaker of the divine nature, then you need to take from the divine nature. And I believe this will help you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we all are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And what is that? I mean, you, he just we in our Bible have chapter divisions and verses. But here, you know, the readers would have just heard from witnesses about the importance of faith. Amen? Noah and, and, and Moses, you get the idea. These witnesses tell us different things about faith. I wish we had time to get in that night. We don't. So we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us, and this is important, lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Now I'm going I'm to say something, and I want you to listen closely. I'm not trying to be sarcastic or funny. This is meant to be serious and to make a point. I believe one of the biggest things wrong with Christians today is that nothing is wrong with Christians today. And that's a problem. We think we're fine. We have nothing to lay aside. We have no weight. We have no sin. We, we, we're just going through life and we're fine. I mean, we're, we're going to church. We're going, we're listening and all that. But as far as our daily routine, our daily life, there isn't prayer of confession of sin. There isn't a search me God to see if there's any wicked way in me. There isn't an inventory. Am I right? Is there anything in my life that I have to lay aside? But let me encourage you, and I mean that. I want to encourage you. The Bible would not tell us to confess our faults one to another if we did not have faults to confess one to another. The Bible would not tell us to put things off if we did not have things to put off. And the Bible would not tell us to lay aside weight and sin if we did not have weight and sin to lay aside. That's deep, right? But God never makes mistakes. He puts it in his script. He puts it in his word for us in the scriptures for edification. And beloved, this is serious. This, this matters. And so as we begin to want to stay faithful, we need to be serious about who we are and where we are. Some years ago, I was using a computer program called MapQuest. This is something from the 1900s. You remember this? It's a website. Yeah. You used to have to print out paper and all that. Anybody remember that? Okay. I was in a hurry. I was in an office building. I asked if I could use the office, uh, if their computer 
I punched in where I needed to go because I knew where I needed to go. I clicked get directions and I got an error message. I double checked the address. It was correct. I put it back in. I clicked get directions. I got another error message. And I finally realized what the problem was. I didn't put in where I was starting from. I knew where I wanted to go, but I couldn't get help unless I, until the computer figured out where I was. Well, it's a simple illustration, but there's some good spiritual truth there. A lot of us know where we want to go. We know we want to be as a Christian. We know what we want to do as a Christian. But we, listen, we need to be honest about where we are right now. We need to be honest about what's going on in our life right now. And the writer of Hebrews says, listen, We've just heard from all these witnesses about faith, but here's what you need to do. You need to lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets you and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, this is an interesting word here in verse 2, looking. It's the only time this word's used in the New Testament. It's a compound word. It's two Greek words. One's a prefix used here in the text. And then the other one is the root word. And the first word is apo, and it means off. That's simple. Off. The other word, haraho, means to see. And when you put it together, this compound word, and as I said, it's the only time in the New Testament it's used, it means this. It's more than just look. It means To stop looking so that you can look. That's what that prefix off means. It means see off of this and on to that. The Greek language is very, very specific. I'm not saying you have to be a Greek scholar to know your Bible, by the way. But it helps us understand the significance of what he's saying here. I want you to look, pay attention, look unto Jesus. And if that means taking your eyes off of something else, then do it. So that you can put your eyes onto Jesus. Now, while it's the only time that we have it in Scripture as a word, it's illustrated absolutely beautifully in the book of the Revelation. So take your Bible with, with me and turn to the book of the Revelation, chapter 5. Revelation, chapter 5. And I want you to see this illustrated. Now, Revelation chapter 5 follows Revelation chapter 4. You got that? Did anybody want to write that down before I move on? Now, I only bring that up because the beginning of chapter 4 says this. After this, I looked. Well, after what? After he has been told what he, this, these messages to the seven churches. And if you've read through 2 and 3, you understand it ain't all that great of news. Amen. But listen, John walked with Christ. John walked with the Lord. He saw what the Lord did. John knows how things are supposed to be. And in chapter 5, it says, I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And you can almost see in your mind John's excitement because he knows what this means. Who is going to open the book? Who is going to begin the end? Who is going to bring history to its rightful conclusion? And John realizes there's no movement. 
He says, no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. No king, no president, no prime minister, no emperor, no government, no preacher, no pastor, no imam, no rabbi, no CEO, nobody was worthy to open. And look at what John does. He says, and I wept much. Cause and effect. Why were you weeping, John? Because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. Now, if you look in the Greek, when it says he wept much, it means this. He wept much. It means this, that he didn't take a Kleenex and dab his eye because he was a little moved. No, it meant he was sobbing. Here is a man who has been given this vision And he's a man like we are. He's not omniscient. And he realizes the gravity of what is going on. That no one is worthy to open the book. Wait, I I know how things are supposed to go. This isn't how it's supposed to end. And he is overcome with grief. All that he's heard in chapter 2 and 3. All that he has seen. Now he's hearing this. And no man is found worthy anywhere. No wonder he wept much. Verse 5 says, One of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold. You see that word? What he said is this. He said, John, you don't have to cry. You don't have to weep. Behold. What you know what behold means? It means look. Well, we know why John's crying. He says, Because no man was found worthy to open and read the book. We know what John is focused on right now. But the elder says, hey, stop looking over there and start looking at him. Get your eyes off and on. That's what Hebrews is talking about. Now, what happens to John? The elder said, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld. Let me tell you. When God says, behold, you will behold. Amen. He says, hey, behold. And John says, and I beheld. And lo, there he was. He says, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And by the way, I love that it says he came and took the book. Amen. 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 He, he has the authority to do that. Amen. Amen. He didn't ask permission. He took the book. The Bible continues and says, They sung a new song, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. He's not crying anymore, is he? No. Why? Because he looked off of this and onto him. And if you remember back in Hebrews, that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah, we can spend a whole lot of time looking at the weight and the sin and oh, how frustrated we are and how disappointed we are. 
But he says, once you do that, you lay aside the weight and sin. Now, look unto, and he doesn't tell us to look unto something. He tells us to look unto someone. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, and this is, this is where the application comes in for your faithfulness and mine, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Endured. Could we say it this way? He stayed faithful. He endured the cross. Why? Despising the shame. This word despising means to think very little of. What would, what would make him think so little of the shame? What would make him think so little of what was going on? There must have been something greater than the shame. It says this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. The joy set before him outweighed the shame he was going through. He thought very little of the shame because he knew about the joy that was coming. Keep your eyes on him. Because he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. How you think affects what you do. What you do affects your behavior, obviously. Excuse me, it affects your patterns. You want to be faithful? Of course. You want to stay faithful? Then get your eyes off of what you shouldn't be focused on, on the things. And by the way, good things can become bad things. The, the brazen serpent had to get destroyed because it became an idol. Amen. If I'm not careful, my family can become an idol. Good things can become idols, but I'm not supposed to keep my eyes on them. I'm supposed to keep my eyes on Christ. Because if I don't keep my eyes on Christ, let me tell you, beloved, maybe you can, you, maybe you can identify with me. It does get wearisome, doesn't it? Amen. I can start trying to be faithful to church. I can start trying to be faithful to my family and faithful at, you know, at the job and faithful here. And when you think of all the things I have to be faithful to, it can be very daunting. But when I sum it all up to this, I just want to be faithful to my Lord. My faithfulness to my Lord somehow in his goodness enables me to be faithful to all those other things. You see, when I look at Christ and I see him and I consider him, this is how I stay faithful. And I'm going to close with this text, which wraps all this up. It's in John chapter 15. And I want you to see the words that our Lord uses. John chapter 15. You've heard this expression before. Faithfulness produces fruitfulness. John 15. Verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Amen. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. 
Look closely. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Now he'll continue this teaching, but I want to stop there for our purposes this evening. Because when we talk about being partakers of the divine nature, Jesus illustrates how that happens. Just like a branch is attached to the vine, and that branch draws from the vine the nature of the vine. It draws from the vine life into itself, the branch. And that vine, in this picture here, it gives the branch the ability to produce fruit. And Jesus says, he's the vine, and we're the branches. If I want to be faithful, if I want to be like God in this divine nature, that God is faithful, God is true, God is sure, God shows stability, God has fidelity. If I want that, I need God. I can't can't last on making commitments to all these different things I have to do. I'll fall on my face. I'm going to wear out. The flesh always burns out. No, if I want to stay faithful, I have to abide in Christ. I have to draw from Him the faithfulness. I, I praise Him and rejoice over the faithfulness He shows to me. We looked at that already, the sanctification, the forgiveness of sin, the security, the staying, all of that. Praise God for that. But if I want to be faithful back, if I want to reflect that I am, I am indeed a partaker of a divine nature, again, not, not polished up human qualities, but a divine nature, I have no choice but to attach myself to Christ. How do I do that? Well, I do that by staying in this book and staying in this church. Speaking illustratively here. God didn't design the assembly by mistake. God didn't design the assembly by mistake. He designed preaching, teaching. I'm going to put my notes away to give you hope. When we read the book of Acts... And when we're talking about abiding in Christ, we're talking about staying attached. We're talking about looking on, to, looking on him, purposefully looking off of things of this world and purposely looking at him. I do that in my Bible. I do that with prayer. These, these are not cliche things. These are real. But when you read the book, of the, the book of Acts and you see how these churches, just amazing things God did through these churches. You know what's interesting to me? When you see them and it describes what they did, it says they continued steadfastly faithful. That's what faithfulness looks like. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Well, we're Baptists, amen, and we, we have doctrine. And prayers, and breaking of bread. But remember what else is right in there? Fellowship. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. That is, the Holy Spirit moved Luke to record it. Amen? Amen. Do not underestimate the value of fellowship. Amen. 
That's a way you can abide in Christ. This isn't a maverick operation. You don't have to do it by yourself. You have people around you that can help you stay faithful. That can help you abide in Christ. And then you help them in turn. It's a wonderful design that God gave. Be faithful, Lehi. For God is faithful. Be faithful and stay faithful. Keep looking unto Jesus. Father in heaven, thank you for these truths. And Lord, I know we, we jumped around the scriptures and tried to tie things together. 